Okay, so I didn't come up with a clever name for this one yet, but for like the last two non-track episodes that we had, the name kind of came up as we were recording. Oh, yeah. Such as, isn't that just like me for the Bowie episode? Yep, and yep, yep. <laughs> I don't do butt stuff for the <laughs> Kanye episode. Our so, best one yet. Man. So hopefully something comes up for this. Otherwise... I, have a, I have one like potential title. If we can't come up with anything else... Where's the hyphen? Question mark. Where's the hyphen? Come Where's on. the hyphen? Where's the hyphen in the name? A moon-shaped pool. You gotta hyphenate moon-shaped. Oh, moon. Okay. Where's the hyphen? Where's the hyphen? Or where's the L? Where's the L? In full stop. There full full hey, stop. The L. You turn it sideways. That's a hyphen, dude. I think you just cracked. It. I think we just cracked. The... Wow. We're at the tip of the iceberg. So I was trying to do some Radiohead research, and I found out that Consequences of Sound started their own Radiohead podcast. What? Wow. In kind of preparation for this album to come out. And it's it's called Radioheads with a Z. No, no, just, just nice. stay with me. Stay with me. So they put like out... Wing nuts. Exactly. Nice. They put out the first one, and... The, the plan was is they were going to do an episode about each album. So the first one, Pablo Honey, that was the first episode. Because okay. they, they had no idea when a moon-shaped pool was going to come out. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I listened to about half of it, and it's these these four guys, and they keep calling themselves, like, the ba- the number one Radiohead fans. like the Unironically. Mo- yeah. Just like, wow. And, like, like we, we're we we're the number one Radiohead podcast out there, and we're, we're all the experts. <laughs> and they're just, they just sound like these fucking tools the whole time i'm immediately competitive with these guys now i, I know so i'm the bait not so <laughs> that's us yeah. but we're the radio heads yeah can we can we post it onto their page yeah well okay just just wait <laughs> it gets worse so like I, I i couldn't even get through half of this thing yeah I'm like, these guys are fools they don't know what they're talking about they don't even sound like that big of fans <laughs> and then i saw that instead of going to the next album, The Benz, because a moon-shaped pool came out, they did a Rush moon-shaped pool episode. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I better listen to this one just in case they drop some facts that I could use for this yeah, recording. Yeah, no doubt. And I start, I listen to the whole thing, and then I realize it is the most... It's satirical. But it, they play it. They play it so dry. Nice. And so like. Oh my god. And god. And <laughs> I gotta listen. To the that. best thing is, is like, you scroll into like the comment section of it, and there are all these like hardcore Radiohead fans like, um, excuse me, wall of text of like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This Yo. is wrong. This is wrong. Yo. And you realize this is exactly why they're doing nice. that because who is easier to troll? Than the most pretentious yep. band's most pretentious fans. Yeah, nice. So then I went nice. back and re-listened to the Pablo Honey one, <laughs> and I was just laughing my ass off the whole time. And uh, not trying to break character, but I was trying to describe it to Maddie, and I was like, "So you know how Dominic has this thing with wings? I'm like, <laughs> imagine a whole podcast about Dominic talking about wings." 
And imagine Damn. he never breaks into laughter the entire time. Man. Plays it totally serious. And that is this podcast. Yeah, I got to check Radio it out. Heads. I got to check it you, out. You, I love you it gotta, already. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to like spend too much time talking about it, but the best fucking part about the Moonshaped Pool one. So you know the new James Blake album came out, right? Yep. So of these four guys, one of them, I think his name's Justin, is agreed upon by the group as the biggest, like the most knowledgeable Radiohead <laughs> fan out of all of them. So... First of all, they start out the episode by like, so how did you guys get it? And they all admit that none of them bought it. They all just torrented it. Yeah. And yeah. as this Justin guy keeps talking about it, he's like, oh, and I, th- I think my favorite track was that one that had the Bony Bear feature on it. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and, and then the, and then one of them thinks, wait, are you talking about the new James Blake album? <laughs> And he's so proud that he's like, no, I'm positive it is the new Radiohead album. So for the whole episode, he keeps talking about the new James Blake album, but saying it's the new Radiohead album. He's like, yeah, this thing's got 17 tracks and the weekend's on it. And they're like, and the whole time's like, no, I seriously think you're talking about the color of anything in the new James Blake album. And he's just in total denial the whole time. That's brilliant. I have to check that out. You do need to check it. It's completely up your alley. I'll I'll post a a link to it in the description in case anyone else wants to read it. <laughs> so I guess with that we can get started. Hello and welcome to the Radiohead A Moon Shaped Pool special episode of Shuffle. Uh, a Moon Shaped Pool can be purchased off of iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, XL Recordings, and HMV, and it can also be streamed if you have an Apple Music subscription, a Title subscription, or a Rhapsody account. Otherwise, uh, the two singles off this album, Burn the Witch and Daydreaming, can be found on this episode's page as well as on Spotify and YouTube, so you can at least listen to those. So I I know I kind of went through this little bit in our previous episode, but in case you didn't listen to that, the listener, I was just going to kind of give... Go back and listen. Yeah, to go all back. Our we'll, we'll sit here and wait. They build on each other very subtly, so you gotta you, go back. You won't un- one. You won't understand anything <laughs> of this episode because actually, little bits of this episode have been scattered throughout yep. every episode leading up to this one. The key to understanding this is embedded in all the other episodes, and vice versa. It's very yeah. confusing. and it, so. it, it'll definitely take some like you know sacred geometry to try to figure it out piece it all together you need those abacus what are they called the little uh, a- yeah abacus yeah, they, uh, yeah little abacus you gotta listen to this episode closely then go back and listen to all the episodes combine your notes use the abacus then throw away your computer buy the radio hood album then download the podcast start over again and then you'll be good to go then donate us Five million dollars. Five million dollars, and that can go straight we in got our it. banks. <laughs> and we can pay and put a hyphen in the title. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll send we'll use that money to help fund Radiohead putting a hyphen in I the title. I think they need the a album. Kickstarter. I think they made a big whoops, and they're hoping no one notices. We need they need a Kickstarter to go fix it. Yeah, they definitely do. Tom, <laughs> Tom, Tom Yorke, Tom Yorke, Tom Yorke. Actually, the Y is silent. It's Orca. Thumb Orca. Thumb Orca. <laughs> Thumb Orca and the yeah. Radio Boys. And the Radio Boys. The Radio Noggins. <laughs> the radio the noggins. AM Noggins. <laughs> so I, I was just going to give a little brief description about Radiohead. 
this is the same thing I said last episode, so you can tune out if you don't want to hear it. Radiohead, English experimental alternative art rock band from Abington, Oxfordshire. They are Tom Orke, Tom York, lead vocals, guitar, piano, keyboards, Johnny Greenwood, lead guitar, keyboards, orchestral composition, and additional instrumentation, Colin Greenwood on the bass, Phil Selway on drums, and Ed O'Brien on guitar and backing vocals. And it should also be noted that they have worked with the same producer and uh, artist for their artwork since 1994, their producer being Nigel Godrich and their artist Stanley Dogwood. They're kind of unofficial members of the band, I would say. Uh, They are considered to be one of the most successful indie alternative bands of all time. They've sold more than 30 million albums worldwide, having their work placed highly in both listener polls and critic lists of best music of the 1990s and 2000s. Just like the Beatles. <laughs> A bio? <laughs> Just like the Beatles. Just like James Blake. <laughs> Radiohead, they're the 21st century <laughs> Beatles. <Yeah. laughs> It's like the most uncool opinion of all time. I love it. I think everyone just unsubscribed. <laughs> everyone. That should be the name of this episode. There we go. Radio we we got it already. Equals 21st century, 21st century Beatles. Beatles. Oh, God. I'm going to do it. It's like so uncool. I'm going to do it. Oh, God. My teeth hurt. Yeah, I, the listeners can't see this, but they're actually uh, falling out of his skull uh, right now. Uh, clink, 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 clink. <laughs> In, a, in 2005, Radiohead were ranked the 73rd uh, greatest artist of all time in Rolling Stone's list of greatest artists of all time. Johnny Greenwood and Ed O'Brien were both included in the Rolling Stone's list of greatest guitarists. Tom York was ranked 66th on their list of greatest singers. And in 2009, Rolling Stone readers voted the group the second best artist of the 2000s. So they all met and began playing music together while attending Abingdon School, an independent school for boys in Abingdon, Oxfordshire, in 1985. Their original band name was On a Friday, referencing the band's usual rehearsal day in the school's music room, which is a little... (laughs) Not creative. I don't know, the Beatles wouldn't have done that. The Beatles? (laughs) You say it right? Come on. Oh, They're only the greatest. The (laughs) Beatles? Sorry. The... Bell wouldn't have done that. The bells. Bells. <laughs> the bass. The bass. Uh, after rising in popularity, performing live shows in the area, and recording some demos, they signed a six-album recording contract with the British recording and publishing company EMI. And then at the request of EMI, the band changed their name to Radiohead. I don't know why they wanted it to be changed. And little known fact... It is taken from the Talking Heads song, Radiohead, off their 1986 album, True Stories. Hmm. And by the way, that's a true story. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, yeah, that that's Radiohead. Uh, I guess we can move into our new segment, special for this episode, which I call Radio Headline News. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. That's the attention to detail I've come to expect from Jared. Nice one. That's what I do. I sit around all day and just think of puns. (laughs) 
So in January of 2016, Radiohead fans began to speculate that a new album was imminent when it was revealed that the group had registered a new company called Don Chorus LLP, and then they actually established another entity called Don Chorus Limited. And the reason why they speculated uh, this meant a new album release is because prior to the release of In Rainbows and The King of Limbs, the two previous albums by Radiohead, they had also established these companies prior to them coming out. And then we didn't really hear much from them. They... uh, released a song that they had written for the James Bond movie Spectre that never made it into the movie. So that was the only little bit we got. Did you ever listen to it? I actually don't think I ever heard it. Nope. I don't think I ever. There were a couple tracks on here that honestly sounded like they could have been James Bond theme songs. I don't I, mean that in a derogatory way. No, I definitely but- <laughs> agree. I think I actually wrote that down for one of the yeah, songs. Because I actually Googled. I think it was like the... Maybe the second to last song, but I googled to see if that was actually Tinker Taylor yeah. Sailor. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I googled that to see if that was like the James Bond theme song that was rejected because I couldn't remember if it was on this album or not. But it yeah, wasn't. it's not. Yeah. It's, it's actually called Spectre, and it is actually they're releasing a seven-inch of Burn the Witch, and the B-side on that vinyl is going to be the Spectre song. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, but then. Near the end of April, Radiohead fans around England received a mysterious leaflet in the mail. Pretty much any person who ever bought anything from them online got this leaflet in the mail that said, Sing a song of sixpence that goes, burn the witch. And then at the bottom it says, We know where you live. (laughs) And then in the corner was a little embossed Radiohead logo, that little sharp-toothed bear thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Stanley Dogwood created and then there was some abstract artwork near the top and it at that time people knew that Burn the Witch was an unreleased Radiohead song that dated back to the mid 2000s there'd been a lot of uh, speculation like they've been hinting at this song Tom even at one point posted lyrics to it online and I think in the Hail to the Thief artwork somewhere in there the words burn the witch are listed somewhere so people have been like really wanting to hear the song for a while Hmm. and now we're going to move to a little sub segment i like to call how to disappear completely and then turn into a bird if you didn't know how to disappear completely is a song by radiohead never heard of it So, shortly after this mysterious leaflet was sent out, Radiohead began erasing their internet presence. Uh, Slowly, all of the band's social media sites, all of their own personal Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts, all the posts were deleted off of it, all the pictures were removed, and then on Radiohead's website, the background image slowly faded out to nothing (laughs) until it was just white. And then on May 3rd, the on their Instagram account, a short clip of a stop-motion bird chirping appeared, and that, that was all we had. This yeah. audio disappeared yeah, yeah, and nice. into a bird. I see what you did there. I see what you did. You see what I did there? Nice. And shortly followed by that was an additional teaser trailer which featured similar stop-motion animation of a woman tied to a tree while men in skull masks danced around her with swords in their hands. And it was accompanied by uh, kind of intense orchestrated music. 
and then further on that day they released the music video for the first song and single off this album burn the witch the video was directed by chris hopewell and produced by jackknife in it uh, villagers of a small town accuse citizens of committing various sins and at the end a giant wooden statue is revealed just like in the movie the wicker man before it is lit aflame uh did you see this music video yep yeah 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 what did you think of it i thought it was very good i did think it looked like other things i had seen before it looked familiar and then <laughs> and then you probably found out <laughs> and about then it. I, yeah. <laughs> so the animation style is very similar to a British children's TV series called the Trumpton Shire Trilogy. Trumpton Shire is a fictional county created by Gordon Murray in which the Trumpton Shire Trilogy of Camberwick, Green, Trumpton, and Kigley are located which are these fictional towns. And according to Murray, the three communities are based off of real locations, one and a half miles from each other at the corners of an equilateral triangle. The Trumptonshire Trilogy is a show that depicts daily life of the ongoings of citizens in these small county towns in 1960s England. And it's actually recently, Trumptonshire's creator's son-in-law, William Millette has publicly stated that, quote, Radiohead should have sought out our consent as we consider this tarnishing of the brand. He also assessed that the family never would have authorized the video's release and considered it a breach of copyright. And he added that we're deciding what to do next and that he has not shown this music video to Gordon Murray, who is now 96 years old, as wow, he thanks. thinks he would be appalled by it. So... Yeah. So much for that. And have you ever <laughs> seen The Wicker Man? Yep. Yeah, because I thought that was exactly like a complete visual homage to it. Which homage. one did you see? The 73 one or the 2006 one? Only one worth seeing. Nicky the Cage, Nick Cage one. The bees! The bees! <laughs> so uh, the, the Wicker Man is we just alluded to is a 1973 and a 2006 film based off of the 1967 horror novel Ritual by David Piner. It tells the story of a policeman who travels to an isolated island in England in search of a missing girl. The policeman, a devoted Christian, is appalled to find that the inhabitants of the island have abandoned Christianity and now practice a form of Celtic paganism, which happens in the music video yeah yeah <coughs> though the little policeman in the music video gets away safely whereas i don't think <laughs> that happens in the wicker man no 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 yeah so i it's, i'm curious to see what's going to happen with this potential lawsuit going i mean yeah it's weird <laughs> i don't know see what i think their argument is is like i i don't think you can sue someone over stylistically copying yeah but what they're claiming is is some of the characters that appeared in the music video were direct copies of characters featured in the trumpton series yeah so they think that's why it's copyright infringement yeah. but and they'll probably argue that they made more money and publicity on using that imitated that's probably a fair point too yeah which is unfortunate because it sounds like they don't just want money which i'm sure they got so much money they could just pay them 
but they probably want it to be taken they down. They probably want it to be, yeah. Which, I mean, it's the digital age, so at this point, means it's, nothing. it's out there forever. <laughs> forever and ever. I would love if they actually, someone just showed the 96-year-old guy, and he was like, I love it. <laughs> it's like, That'd I was always great. too afraid to do that. He's they like, that's it. what I always meant to do with this trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking son-in-law. Yeah, you took it there. You can saw it off, yeah. as an English guy would say. Yeah, there you go. So the song uh, also premiered on YouTube and Spotify, two entities that Tom York has publicly criticized in the past. In a 2013 interview with an Italian paper, York had this to say about YouTube and its parent company, Google. I don't have a solution to these problems. I only know that they're making money with the work of loads of artists who don't get any benefit from it. People continue to say that this is an era where music is free, cinema is free. It's not true. The creator of the series make money, Google, YouTube, a huge amount of money by trawling like in the sea. They take control of it. It's like what the Nazis did during the Second World War. Actually, it's like what everyone was doing during the war, even the English, stealing art of other countries. What difference is there? What is it called? Murray's Law? Where everything... Have you heard of this law? No. I think it's Murray's Law. And the law is that... Given enough time, every conversation on the internet will lead to a comparison to Hitler and World War II. Really? <laughs> That's fat. Is that real? That's a real That's one. like... I'm just thinking about it now, and I can actually see how that could happen quite easily. I think he meant it satirically, but it, it actually, I've experienced it to be true. Given enough time... Everything will eventually Everything be just devolves into Hitler. <laughs> it's like Hitler. There's the wow. title of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Given enough time, everything is Hitler. Including Radiohead. Yeah. And then in parentheses, the 21st century Beatles. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm really curious to see where this title is going to be by the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. and, and then in a, in a later interview with a Mexican publication, York also referred to Spotify as the last desperate fart of a dying corpse. I like that a little bit more than the World War II comparison. Yeah, it's a little more creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little more creative. <laughs> so three days after the release of this music video, May 6th, another teaser video appeared on the band's Instagram account, this time featuring an unsettled-looking Tom York wandering through an empty concrete parking structure with ambient music playing in the background. So later that day, the video did drop, and it actually ended up being a Paul Thomas Anderson-directed video mm-hmm. for the second mm-hmm. single off this album, Daydreaming, which the clip was from. Uh, the video has even more shots of an unsettled Tom York wandering around and opening many different doors into many different locations, and at the end of the video, York stares directly into the camera while saying something indecipherable, and it's actually really creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. al- along with the release of the video, it was also announced that Radiohead's still untitled ninth album would be digitally released Sunday, May 8th at 7 p.m. with a physical release to follow in late June. So I, I take it you saw this video also? Yeah, great video. I, I had this, incredibly good this video was... Yeah. If you could see me, I'm giving the AOK <laughs> sign right now. It was great. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's PTA. Yeah, yeah, it's oh. fantastic. So in the Radioheads podcast, they keep talking about like, oh yeah, and that Wes Anderson directed video is uh. just so good. <laughs> and then the comments like, 
If you guys are going to have a podcast about Radiohead, at least do enough research to realize it's Paul Thomas Anderson, oh not God. Wes Anderson. I'm like, <laughs> how dense do you have to be yeah, to see that? They're not joking. Yeah, God. That's awesome. Yeah. So then the, the next day, May 7th, it was announced that Paul Thomas Anderson sent 35mm copies film copies of this music video to select movie theaters around the United States and on the film canister there was a piece of paper that read we've made a film here it is we'd be happy if you played it and so that night there were several small screenings of it in glorious 35 millimeter PTA's fade yeah. and then over on the Radiohead subreddit uh, several fans were <laughs> So convinced that the LP9, the ninth album by Radiohead, would not be announced that day, that they had promised to eat a photo of Tom York's face if they were wrong. <laughs> and then they proceeded to do so. Wow. I, I'll, I will post videos, Jesus but they were like, the day that the, the clip came out, they're like, there's no way it's going to happen. And then they said, if it gets dropped today, I'll eat a photo of Tom York's face. And now there's multiple videos of fans eating, staring into the camera and eating printer inkjet. Oh, yeah. God. Fans like that. Fans like that. They're probably the ones that are commenting (laughs) on the the Radiohead's podcast podcast page. Jesus. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, May 8th, the album came out. It's called The Moon Shaped Pool. A special edition version of the album was announced the same day. Featuring two heavyweight 12-inch vinyl records, a CD containing two bonus tracks, a 32-page book of original artwork, and a piece of the band's actual original master tape from one of their recording sessions. They said, The tape degrades over time and becomes unplayable. We thought rather than it ending up in a landfill, we would cut it up and make it useful as part of the special edition. A new life to some obsolete technology. Each loop contains about three quarters of a second of audio, which could be from any era in the band's recording past going back to Kid A. You may have silence, you may have colored leader tape, you may have a chorus. It's a crapshoot. We have copies. Don't worry. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know with um, King of Limbs, special editions came with, like, I think Tom, or either it was either Tom or... Stanley Dogwood made a bunch of like paintings and drawings and they like ripped it up into like millions of pieces and like just scattered pieces of ripped up art um. that they could try to arrange but they probably didn't make anything <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> anything for those Radiohead fans. Eat it up. So, A Moon Shaped Pool, the ninth album by Radiohead, released May 8th, 2016. They worked on this album intermediately after finishing the 2012 tour for their previous effort, The King of Limbs. The album was recorded in southern France with longtime Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich. It includes several songs written and performed some years early, earlier, as well as new material. And the album features heavy use of strings and choral vocals arranged by the multi-instrumentalist Johnny Greenwood and performed by the London Contemporary Orchestra. The album's artwork was created, like, created by Stanley Dogwood, like I said, and he said, 
The only quote he gave about it is it was made by the strong, warm winds of southern France. And it appears to kind of just be splattered, abstract, black and white painting. So I, yeah. I almost wonder if that means he just, like, put paint on a canvas and let the wind blow it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know he's... Yeah. Um, the band has, since the release of the album, been posting more abstract-looking art in the same vein on their Instagram account. Hmm. And I know Stanley posted like a big shot of a bunch of different pieces of art one of them being the cover art for this album so i'm wondering if you know this 32 page art book is a series of paintings yeah a larger collection yeah yeah the album's tracks are listed in alphabetical order a which little I'm, annoying I'm, i gotta admit it annoys me a little bit i'm sure every person who torrented this album when they saw that <laughs> immediately had to go like oh i bet these are out of order yeah yeah, I, I like you know you 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 hope there's some intentionality with the track ordering and like the fact that it's alphabetical yeah. mixed with the fact that the majority of these songs were written a long time ago yep. makes it seem very arbitrary. Yeah, because they don't unless I'm misremembering right now. None of the tracks bleed into one another. No, they they, they all have like distinct. Next one begins. Yep. Yep. And. I I would I hope that that they didn't just say let's just do it in alphabetical order but maybe they just thought let's put some in alphabetical order and name the rest so that it follows in alphabetical order but regardless it's very irritating that's one thing that irritates me tremendously <laughs> strike two radio yeah, ad first the hyphen now this because why even release an album if it if you don't even make it look like you didn't think of how they would the songs would be ordered but we can get into later i still thought the album sounded very coherent nevertheless yeah. nevertheless yeah i i did maybe it was just by dumb luck but if i hadn't read the the song titles yeah it feels like it flows pretty I agree. organically. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So maybe it was yeah. just by like dumb luck, like this is the order we want it, and then they realize like, oh shit, that's alphabetical. Or maybe like yeah. there was only two, and they're like, okay, we can switch those two. Yeah, or maybe, yeah. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah. So uh, this album debuted at number one on the UK album chart, making this the sixth number one album by Radiohead in the UK. Pitchfork gave this a 9.1 out of 10. Rolling Stone, 4.5 out of 5. Spin gave it 19. Not, that can't be right. <laughs> 9 out bucks. of nine, 9 out of 10, sorry. <laughs> Spin gave it 9 out of 10. 19 out of 10. 19 out of 10. <laughs> that, that, that's a Kanye score. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Pitchfork, that's 30 out of 10. Yep. <laughs> Consequences of Sound gave it an A minus, AV Club a B, The Needle Drop 8 out of 10, and has an overall Metacritic score of 88 out of 100, wow. which indicates their universal acclaim ranking. Those boys, the radio boys do it again. Those, uh, yeah, those, those AM noggins. <laughs> Not everyone's a fan, though. Uh, here is former Oasis member <laughs> Noel Gallagher on Radiohead. <laughs> 
I'm aware that Radiohead have never had a fucking bad review. I reckon if Tom York fucking shit into a light bulb and started blowing on it like an empty beer bottle, it'd probably get a 9 out of 10 in fucking mojo. I'm aware of that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Way to stay relevant, Noel. Nice. You go, boy. He's eloquent. He's a real songwriter. A real word. Shit into yeah. a light bulb. There's the name of the episode. Yeah, that makes me think, has he done that personally? That's such a specific action. It's a little specific. To shit into a light bulb. He seems like the kind of guy who would just be like out of his mind and just look at a light bulb and be like, I'm going to fucking shit in there. I'm going to fucking shit in there and say, fuck a lot. And I'm going to hate my brother while I do it. I hate my brother. Yeah. Ah. So I, I guess to kick this album off, uh, what are your overall thoughts, general thoughts on the album? Overall, so I should preface this with I'm not the world's, I'm not the world's number one Radiohead fan. Maybe I'm somewhere like top thirty. I'd like top to think, thirty. I'd like to think like twenty three, nineteen, eight, nah, nineteen. Yeah. Nineteen out of I'll 10. let others call me nineteen. All right, I'll yeah. call myself no. No, I really, I, I don't know Radiohead extremely well. The album of theirs I've listened to the most is In Rainbows. I, li- I listened to that this morning and I was like. Yeah, I love. That. I mean, that's yeah. one of my favorite albums, and and that kind of, kind of more almost like a kraut rock vibe on that. I think yeah. that's fair to say. I kind of I loved when that popped up on here too. Um, but so that all being said, I thought this was a great album. I give it like a nine out of ten because it is. I thought it was coherent. Yeah. It was gorgeous. It was. I have a tremendous amount of respect that they did not in any way give in to like modern musical trends or genres. They decided to make an extremely mature sounding album that's borders on being pretty ex- borders on being experimental. Like but the one thing about it is that it and this is where maybe you'll have to check me because you listen to Radiohead more. Gripe Corner. Gripe Corner. Is it? It seemed like, however gorgeous it was, and how some of it is truly like touching or just kind of like rocking, even like full stop. It did it. It never seems dangerous. It never seems daring. It seems like an album that they could do, basically at any given point. <laughs> now. Yeah, no, I. Which I, would I th- that I, would get that if they if there if I had felt that it would have been a ten. So instead, it's just a nine, which is a great score. I, I loved it, but I don't know if that's fair. I, I think. In some ways, I think that's fair. In some ways, I think there is a bit of danger there, but that comes with a whole lot of context of like being an avid Radiohead listener. Yeah, see that. And, yeah. you know, yep, yep. is there really danger there if you need to be super familiar with their entire discography to right. see the danger? <laughs> like, is it there then? Yeah, yeah. So I completely understand that. Like, yeah. it seems very safe and mellow and, yeah. I, it, I can ra- it, it feels like it wraps itself up in such a beautiful layer of sound. And strings and choral and great lyrics that I you could get lost in, but it never there was never like a mo. I mean, and this is like again, I'm obviously not a professional music critic because I look for like 
a moment that will like give me chills like wow that's fucking crazy you know what i mean yeah and i did not quite find that on this album although i love the album and there's songs that i'll listen to repeatedly for years that i I love daydreaming that's an unbelievably fantastic song beautiful song yeah but nothing on there jumped out at me as edgy like wow but but the, you know, Radiohead has a whole tradition. Yeah, that they're dealing with it. I I don't quite. Know. They're kind of they're they they are a band that has baggage. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely I thought this album was probably their most quote grower. Yeah. Rather than a shower, yeah. like it yeah. really took multiple listens for me to like fully get hit with this album yeah it's it's so densely packed with texture and instrumentation and layers upon layers of noise that it would it would be impossible to unpack it in one listening yeah if you gave it one listening yeah you wouldn't hear the album which has its pros and cons too. yeah 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 and it's very subtle at first it it demands the listener's attention you know passive listening would simply render the album uninteresting but nice to listen to yeah headphones i had to listen to headphones every time because there's there's so many little noises and and even for a group that tends to find itself on like the melancholic spectrum of music yeah this album is fucking heartbreaking it, yeah it's, it's overwhelmingly beautiful the yeah. instrument or it, it has overwhelmingly beautiful instrumentation paired with tom's falsetto voice yeah it, it kind of makes for quite the sadistic listening experience if you truly delve into yeah the meaning behind the songs you know you can't stop listening but it drains your body of all joy and warmth that <laughs> was in it to begin with it yeah it's it is a. I don't know if this is unique to Radiohead either, but it was ex- seemed extremely personal and consistent across every song. That it was very personal, lyrically, yeah, very personal. And unlike Kanye West, which I, I always get them wrong. I think centripetal, centripetal and centrifugal. You right? say Kendrick one goes out, is one Kendrick's goes always going out. Yeah. Kanye's always coming in. But ba- still based on themselves. You know what yeah. I mean? Kanye, it's all about himself, and it all gets sucked in. Kendrick, it's about his life, and it goes out. This, it's all, seem it's very personal, but it it is, like, universal. I mean, it's, but sad. Consistently is sad. Consistently yeah. sad. Yeah. Well, and... But not in a sentimental, sappy way. So, and I, I guess to, like, bring that into context... And, you know, this is purely speculation. He hasn't come out and said this. But between the King of Limbs and this album, his marriage of 23 years ended. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that, especially listening to this album, keeping that in mind. Yeah. Everything gets intensified to the nth degree. Especially, yeah, that last song, True Love Waits, which has been, like, 20 years? He, is that right? He is wrote that, that <laughs> before the Benz came out. Yeah, yeah it's it's a 20-year-old song. So that that fact alone makes that song extremely powerful because I can only imagine like the hundreds of other versions and sounds that that song's gone through. And this one you get like an extremely stripped down version that I would assume reflects his uh, state. His on feelings. That. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think I would agree. I think I would go like. I want to say nine out of ten, but then I like listen to In Rainbows today. I'm like, oh, this is an eight. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Radiohead are they're like sad, sappy motherfuckers, but <laughs> they can usually like jam and rock out pretty well. Yeah, which only came kind of in maybe two in songs. Here. Yeah, yeah, two songs on this album, and which were two of my favorites: "Full Stop" uh, and "Identikick." Those are both. Fantastic. "Full Stop" is probably yeah. at least my second favorite song. I wasn't a huge fan of "Identikick." Really? Actually. Yeah. I, I, I can get into it yeah, later. Yeah, let's yeah. I guess let's just start at the top and kinda briefly talk about the songs. You know, we can yeah. go where we want. Yeah. yeah. So Burn the Witch. As I mentioned before, this was a song written back in two thousand and it almost ended up on many Radiohead albums before it was finally released on a moon shaped pool. Uh, Neil Godrich said that when he was asked in 2007 if Burn the Witch would ever be released, he said, everything will surface one day. It all exists, and so they will eventually get there, I'm sure. He also noted <laughs> that the song Nude off of the 2007 album In Rainbows was written 12 years prior to the release of the album. So Radiohead are kind of these people, especially like with that last song where it's like they write a song... Yeah. And they're intelligent enough to know this isn't the right time for this song to yeah. surface yet. Yeah. They know when to release a song. Burn the Witch features a string section playing I'm gonna say I'm guessing this is a Latin phrase, Collegno. C O L L E G N O. It's it's a bowing technique where the players strike the strings with the stick of the bow yeah. rather than bowing it with the strings, which gives it that more of a, a percussive yeah. feel, which is the most distinct yeah. sound in this song. Which is, that that is like classic Greenwood Paul Thomas Anderson sound. Yeah. That's like yeah. it, all three movies he's helped them score. You get that. Especially There Will Be Blood. I mean, that... Which I love. I, uh, yeah. Speaking of which, I still haven't seen Inherent Vice. Have you? I did. I wasn't the biggest fan. I was going to say, that. the way yeah. you said I did yeah. just told me, <laughs> maybe you don't see that one, Jared. Yeah, yeah it's uh, I mean, on a very brief separate note, that book is considered by hardcore Thomas Pinchon fans to be Pinchon light. Like, he, Thomas Pinchon wrote yeah. amazing stuff in the 60s and 70s. This is kind of watered down, and I have not read in that book, but the movie was Paul Thomas Anderson Light. It really, it, ah. it was like just not, it was yeah, not that experimental. Was the score good? The score was good, but it was pretty bogged down. It was like Johnny a, Greenwood Light. It was, <laughs> it was mixed with. I'm, pr I'll have to even double check. I'm almost positive he did give the score, but there was a lot of um. 1960s and early 70s era rock music incorporated okay. which makes for a kind of strange mixture yeah that's kind of a weird juxtaposition yeah so it's a weird it's a movie that maybe will grow in time on me but eh. but yeah in this song burn the witch i it was immediately reminded of that greenwood cinematic 
kind of fluttering, driving, impressionistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. grew on me. When I first heard it, I listened to it just on uh, like my car speakers. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's a Radiohead song. And then I listened to it on headphones turned up. And I actually, this song, maybe more than any other, grew on me. I re- that I really like. Yeah. I, I think I could agree to that. Especially, I love how it, like, devolves into chaos at yep. the end like yeah it, it reminds me of um that don't hug me i'm scared thing <laughs> i showed you that, that yeah. first episode has that nice string section yep. that just gets horribly crazy yep. near the end the atlantic critic spencer cornhaber likened the strings to a hit a heavy metal chugga 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 the entire time it does have I, the the repeated listening it was more and more almost like a rock song yeah with that i agree yeah and yeah. in uh in the second half of the song the strings gradually disintegrate while the cellos and basses adhere to the conventional f sharp eb chord progression of the chorus the higher strings become deathly herman-esque and quite horrid as you yeah. put uh, the lyrics feature Tom telling the listener to follow orders or else they might be punished. <laughs> and uh, another another possible interpretation for the song is that the song is addressing uh, mass surveillance or threat to open discussion posed by self-policing users of social media. Yeah. I heard him also say something about, like, immigration was on his mind in Europe. Yeah, in well... Particular. It, it was speculated by one of the animators. So, so some, so that, that's one of the theories of the music video in the song. See that, that's the thing. Like when the song was written, the Syrian refugee crisis was not going on. So I don't know if that would have been, at least that's the thought for the inspiration of the music video. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't know about the song exactly. So so like some people think that the music video is critiquing the nativism, embracing leaders across the UK and Europe, perhaps even the shows near namesake stateside Donald Trump, because it, Trumpton Trump. Yeah. yeah. It's thought that the Trumptonshire trilogy reflected this mythical small town family values often championed by the sort of right wing politicians yeah. who have never been Radiohead's cup of tea to begin <laughs> with. Yeah, it could just be a more or less generic sort yeah. of. But then, yes, uh, one of the, the animators of the video, a uh, gal named Verpi Ketu, said that the Burn the Witch video is meant to bring attention to Europe's refugee crisis Mm -hmm. and the, quote, blaming of the different people, the blaming of the Muslims and the negativity, end quote. She also alluded that the leaflets the band sent out reading, We Know Where You Live, was commenting on the current insecurity and blame game spawned by anti-immigration politicians. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. she basically said, that's kind of the vibe I got from talking to the band, but the band hasn't come out and blatantly said, this is what the video is about. about. Yeah. And a little interesting fact, the line that was featured on the leaflet and is also in the song sing a song of sixpence is a reference to a well-known english nursery rhyme from the 18th century which is called sing a song of sixpence mm-hmm. you know sing a song of sixpence a pocket full of rye four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie when the yeah. pie was open the birds began to sing wasn't that a dainty dish to set before a king yeah and in the 16th century this was 
an actual joke that people would play on each other, I found out, putting living birds in pies to when they were open to have them they flying out. Fly. That's an actual <laughs> nice. practical joke people used to let's play on each other. Let's bring that back, man. Damn. Yeah. Let's bring the, bir- the bird pie joke yeah, back. Yeah, no kidding. But no, that, because yeah, I Googled sing a song of sixpence. And yeah, so it was like a nursery rhyme, yeah. right? And it, it's basically, it's a song about a, a king who demands a blackbird pie. Yeah. And when he opens the pie, the birds were put in there still alive and like 24 blackbirds fly out and start like <laughs> singing and making fun of him. Yeah. And uh, I, the, the phrase sing a song of sixpence, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it, it's basically like, it's something that like an elder would say to a young person, like, "Sing us a song. I'll give mm-hmm. you six pence. Sing us a song. Yeah. Entertain us." See that 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 sort of kind of like a, a detail made me really like this album more. Because again, you can read into it as much as you want, and one thing Radiohead does well is productive ambiguity with lyrics. Yes, <laughs> especially like. <laughs> English, well. like old English yeah. stuff. Like yeah. the whole King of Limbs album, if you look it up, the King of Limbs is actually, there's this like ancient garden of these trees that are thought to be some of the oldest living things on the planet. Huh. And one of the trees is like colloquially known as the King of Limbs. Uh-huh. But like yeah, you have to like creep. dive yeah, fucking in. deep to figure that yeah. out. But I like, I like that that the sixpence and like the nursery rhyme because i thought that kind of represented the song the idea of a nursery rhyme being happy innocent pleasant and part of the song is extremely like pastoral and beautiful lush strings but nursery rhymes often had extremely dark yeah, like Elements ring, ring around the rosy right, extre- being about the plague and in nursery rhymes i mean not to get too kind of anthropological but nursery rhymes i mean they sort of are a sort of ritual that we say and they sort of sustain and preserve a culture that can quickly become nativistic yeah so i thought that that kind of sing a song a sixpence that's nice because just like the song it's partly beautiful and then there's something extremely off and horrifying underneath yeah like the strings get <laughs> well i mean freaky which lyri- is great and the lyrics are really creepy too because you know tom's got such like a nice pretty voice but yeah he's basically like saying like you know keep your cool oh, or you're contact. gonna fucking burn yeah you know like yeah shoot the messenger stay yeah. in the shadows cheer the gallows yeah at, at first I, I think i agree with you that I wasn't sure how to feel about the strings, but they have grown on me. I do like them. And uh, the the unusual beat that the strings give the song, it's very refreshing and original now yeah. that I listen to it. Yeah, it does sound very fresh. Like yeah. no one yeah. who uses strings as a percussion yeah. in a pop, in a pop, pop song. song. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I feel like this track... My one, I feel like this track doesn't belong on this album. Yeah, it doesn't. I would arguably say every other song on this kind of fits with this fan theorized uh, broken heart ex wife thing, and this song feels 
like not only lyrically different but sonically very different yeah than the rest of the album yeah I, yeah i could imagine an entire separate album based tonally off of this song yes i could imagine that i would say lyrically definitely it's it's stands out maybe there's just one other song on here which one is it that some people thought was about like environmental oh present tense maybe? no it was um numbers. Numbers. numbers maybe that one too but other uh, otherwise i agree but i would say it does it, the only sort of primer it sets for the whole album that i think was a bit of a thread of continuity is just that greenwood cinematic vibe yeah which does appear through. other places yeah. on the album but but I could imagine an entirely different album based off of this song. Yeah. Which maybe they'll do next. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Though some people think there might not be another one, which I'll get into with a later track. They're making too much money. Those guys aren't going to stop. They're too fucking rich. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, any other thoughts on Burn the Witch? No, my, my like tagline was that after repeated listens, I thought this was a great kind of 21st century paranoiac cinematic jam that kind of has a punk sinister vibe to it punk sinister it's at times it seems very like sinister paranoid i like yeah it. i like so i like this song i give like an a after repeated listens it's the a though i i kind of get this funny image after a while is, you know, usually if you were to read the lines "Burn the witch" and imagine someone saying that, you imagine like "Burn the witch." Yeah. And then I just think of like this like really flamboyant guy like "Burn the witch." <laughs> it's like who's gonna take that order seriously? <laughs> yeah, true. Who? True, true. What angry mob is gonna <laughs> respond to that? But it's a song of sixpence. Oh, it's that innocent, okay, yeah. innocuous nursery rhyme. That only underneath it has a sort of sinister vibe. Maybe. That's you the really most charitable. Are, you really are Radioheads. <laughs> That's the most charitable interpretation I can give it. All right. So Daydreaming, second single off the album and second track on the album, is an overall ambient song featuring a sad piano motif, uh, digital noises, as well as reversed pitched and slowed vocals sprinkled throughout the song heavily near the end. And so uh, near the end, when, like I said, Tom is just kind of staring to the camera, saying this line over and over again, some fans uh, took that, isolated the vocals reversed it and sped it up and i've listened to this i'm pretty sure he's saying half of my life over and over well, again yeah, yeah which makes sense because he's 50 years old his 23 year marriage just ended which he's basically lamenting half of my life I, yeah i threw away some people believe that he's saying i found my love some people think he's saying every minute half of my love but i i tried i tried listening to it i i'll post this link of this isolated vocal i can't hear anything other than half my life i think he's saying have my life have take it take it it's very generous <laughs> of you thom very generous tom orca to add it again. <laughs> so while appearing to be a simple song, this track is actually 
heavily textured yeah. upon a deeper listen. It deserves repeated listens with headphones. Yes. Damn. In 35 millimeter audio. <laughs> yeah. uh, lyrically, uh, the song is vague. I, I I think it's either about himself kind of being this dreamer person who is often stuck in his head and maybe his daydreaming tendencies and aloofness maybe resulted in the ending of his relationship. Or perhaps it's about him dreaming of a better time and perhaps when he was still with his wife or at least when they were happy together and the video maybe signifies that of him constantly opening these doors and looking like where did where did yeah, my marriage visiting. go where did my happy yeah. life go yeah and then you know he eventually ends up in this cold snowy place and yeah has Which, i gotta be yeah. honest i saw a few people commented and at first i thought they were just being like cheap with the comparison but it really does mimic some of the montages in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah. Mind. Yeah, no, it, it really does. Of re- it is as if he's like searching through his Desperately. memory. Desperately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. yeah. I mean, probably some movie did it before that, but in my head, that's the closest reference. Yeah. And uh, while it's a rather somber piece of music, it, it's not like fresh wound sad. It's like accepted long scarred over sad which yeah that i again that's something that made me really appreciate the album for as personal as it is it almost never hits that point of being overly emo yeah of being emo it is very kind of impressionistic with its emotions yeah but it still hits the emotion you but can does, see the picture yeah, but yeah it you know it, it's it's regretful but it's also like numb yeah. at the same time yeah or yeah it refuse again i mean not to abstract too much from this one song but it it's both what i liked and partly of what i thought was maybe missing at times so i'm contradicting myself completely but the album refuses to just full give you a catharsis <laughs> it refuses catharsis at every possible moment which i l- appreciate tremendously but i i almost thought was why it was missing a little bit <laughs> i don't know if that makes sense but it no yeah it won't give you it won't just tell you like i'm sad you know it's keeps you guessing but why, at the same yeah. time it's blatantly like saying yeah I'm pretty sure you know what I am, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, I, this song I thought was the best song on the tr- on the album. I think if this song, this song got the closest, I think, to being like having an edge with all the electronic vocal layers and the weird voice samples that became like shouts and murmurs, like bleeding into the gaps. Good. If yeah. they had kept with that throughout the album, which they did, it did pop up a couple other songs. That yeah, tripped. actually, yeah, throughout the album, yeah. there's little weird snippets of voice, but yeah. not as like concentrated at, but, as it is in yeah. this song. This song, this is like think, one of the best songs I've heard. I think I'll agree with you. I'm, I'm going to say it in a weird way. This isn't my favorite song off the album. Yeah. But I can recognize that this is probably the best song off yeah. the album. Yeah. Yeah. The most attention yes. to uh, micro, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think this yeah. is one of the most hauntingly beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, the the piano mixed with York's vocals just 
cut you to your core. Yeah. And the yeah. mixture of electronic noises really do give the song a dreamlike feel. Yeah. Like it gives you that, you know, like you can never really make out a face in a dream. It's like the pi- it, the picture's almost there, but it, it's not quite there. Yep. Kind of yeah. keeps you opening doors and turning corners, just yeah. like the music video. Yeah, it's like a mystical wandering. Yeah. That's what I wrote. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like in a dream, you like see a face, but it's fuzzed out. It's fuzzed out. And then you turn and they're gone and you're in different. Like in Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on this track? Or? Uh, I really, I just, just to fanboy out a little bit. This was like an incredibly beautiful song. And the kind of modal I again I don't know a ton about music but you know you can do just traditional uh, chord progressions or you can do modal music which is it doesn't necessarily sound good it's not atonal but it's more just maybe you know more about this than me but it sounds jazzier kind of where it's not exactly what you expect it's kind of close but it's a little off and this song introduced that which was maybe in the first song too but it was like the best use i thought of kind of having a modal sound to to make the feeling of the song more complex which is also what i mean by it never gave a full catharsis when you hit a basic chord progression then you like feel ah, the tension is <laughs> there relief, it is right the tension is relieved arcade fire they're like the masters of i think of doing the catharsis effectively. They hit the catharsis. Yeah. These guys, they never hit it, but this song was the best use of maintaining the tension and that expansive crescendo at the end leading up with the end and the weird earth tone sounds. Fucking fantastic song. This was like a masterpiece of a song. I loved it. I'll be daydreaming of the song for years to come. Hey, oh. yeah. Just remix it to some Beatles tracks. Yeah. So, by O's. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Dex Dark. The third Not my track. favorite track. Okay, next song, it. Desert Island. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Dex Dark. In this song, Tom uses metaphors of a UFO and an of a extraterrestrial matter in order to portray the question of darkness the darkness of humanity the song tells the story of a ufo so large that it blacks out the sky and proceeds to blast a horribly loud noise that humanity stands to just fall against and they have, they have no defense against it it's the loudest thing they've ever heard and near the end of the song it seems that tom is once again speaking to his ex-wife it kind of takes a weird turn like it talks about this ufo and then at the end he starts just repeating this question have you had enough of me sweet darling sweet time sweet dark have you had enough of me had you had enough of me Mm -hmm. i i I think tom is using the metaphor of an alien invasion to represent the denial we face when we're coming towards the end of a relationship you know we try to run away and cover our ears and pretend it isn't happening but eventually the loudest noise we ever heard breaks through our ears and we have no choice but to face the heartbreak of the ending of the relationship yeah 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 this song which i did like a lot overall for some reason i just didn't click right away but i thought it did a great job of kind of playing with 
a feeling of like dread and a feeling of just like acceptance mixed with both yeah the sort of UFO yeah. stuff or just the but yeah it's a good mix of kind of dread and awe I don't know those feelings kept kind of popping up yeah and then uh, the line and so we crumble a 10 ton head made of wet sand is speculated to be a reference to the once mighty Egyptian sculptures that may or, not, may or may not have been made by aliens yeah. that are currently crumbling though they were once the mightiest objects in existence so you know overall it's kind of about how like Nothing's ever going to last. Everything comes to an end. Even yeah. the mighty relationships we have crumble and fall either through the ending of the relationship or the death of one of them. It, yeah. It's kind of dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next uh, dark. Sonically, yeah. it's an enjoyable song. It kind of has this slow, driving, jazzy feel to yeah. it. By the end, I thought a little bluesy almost. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah jazzy, definitely jazzy bluesy. Yeah, and I, I do, I really like the the bass and piano near the end of the song. Yeah, I, I like the in the kind of outro yeah. a lot. And I also enjoy the, you know, the subtle piano and electronic textures yep. scattered throughout the song. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of that's that's like what I think of the song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't. This is one of those songs that... Especially following Daydreaming. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of doomed to seem like... It's songs like these that just prevented me from giving it a full-on 10. Because it just seems like a song that Radiohead could do. It's not edgy, but it's good. And it's very good. From what I know, this is one of the few songs that was actually written during the recording process for this, this album. Yeah, yeah. I might be wrong, but I didn't see anything that said this was something yeah, I long didn't either. lost. Yeah. But no, I mean, yeah, it had some cool parts and sets up a lot of themes later on about, yeah, acceptance and that dread and that yeah. sort of stuff. And there was a kind of, the outro, I didn't even know how to describe it, but it literally sounded like there's a piano playing, and if you took like a saw, just a manual saw, and you like whacked it and went that, it's like that's what they did into a micro. I don't know if you caught that sound at near the end. You know, <laughs> it's like shaking. I don't saw. think I did, but <laughs> which I like. That reminds me. I'm trying to remember what they're called. I think the band's called Black Heart Progression uh. or Procession. They have a saw player in the band. A saw player. Yes, one of the band members has a big bendy wood cutting hey, saw yeah and he bends it at different angles and bows it with a wow. like a string bow and Fun. you know he'll wobble it and, and you get that weird shaky wobble. Wobble. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah it sounded like there was something like that i don't know if there was a string or if they were literally just hitting it it was going I think, I think the like Blue that. Man Group do that too. Yeah. <laughs> Guess the I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> I think they're a feature. If you look at the, li- the that linear would be awesome. notes. Yeah. Let's move on to the next track, Desert Island Disc. Uh, the title of this song is a play on the classic BBC4 radio program where they talk about desert island discs where celebrities must name the eight songs that they would take away with them on a desert island essentially the only eight songs they'd be able to listen to for the rest of their lives this song was originally performed by york at a 
event called Pathway to Paris Conference in 2015, suggesting this was another song possibly conceived prior to work began on this album. Yeah. Actually, you know, because it did... I don't know. That doesn't really make it seem that way. Now that I think about it, because you know it did happen between when the King of Limbs and this came out. Yeah. So essentially, that whole period of time could have been dedicated to to yeah conceptualizing these tracks in some way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, overall, this is a nice song. It's kind of on the lighter and more forgettable end of the spectrum. I yeah. I think the the yeah. the lyrics are extremely vague. It sort of took. I sort of took this song as trying to mean like moving on from a dark place, finding peace in the light, acceptance in one's fate, and reaching enlightenment. Yeah, so it's, it's significantly more optimistic than like any other track on the album. Yeah, I'm totally alive. That kind of yeah, thing. and it was he almost keeps calling himself the light, and yeah. I have the light, and I am the light. And that much was almost jarring. I did dig the acoustic guitar, which. It was, sounded so much like a John Fahe, who probably sounds like a million other people. Yeah. But that was like the, it sounded like the quintessential folk country modal acoustic guitar. Yeah. It was like, which I liked. I liked a lot. I thought it with kind of electronic whirs in the back. So it, the album, every song had that lush and thick mix of electronic and na- I don't know, would you say natural sounds? Organic. Organic. There you go. Which I'm a sucker for, Caliphone. Caliphone, one Caliphone. of my favorite bands, and I gotta admit, this is probably like the most hipster thing I could possibly do, but some of these songs, especially three and four, sounded a lot like some Caliphone songs. Yeah. Because they do the exact same thing of mixing organic, sometimes folky modal music with electronic ambience. Sure. With very impressionistic lyrics. So. You guys ripped off Cal? No, I'm kidding. It's not at all. It was still different. But this song I liked, but it does kind of feel a little bit, yeah, like a lighter. That's a good way to put it. Kind of yeah. a lighter track. Yeah, it, it almost felt like this should be like a transition piece between two other songs. Yeah. Like, yeah. It definitely didn't feel like there was as much thought put into it See, as the other yeah. songs on this album. I almost feel like, it, yeah, if they had like made this smaller as a transition piece and thought about actually how this album would have worked coherently as like one whole one i feel like there would have been a few more points there would have been like a narrative arc to the album yeah with kind of yeah 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 no i agree i agree but it was a good again you listen to it and i can't say it's bad yeah it's not bad but But, it's not the most memorable either yeah so let's move on to a more memorable track. Full great song. Full stop. Great song. Full, yeah, full great stop. Song. Uh, ra- <laughs> Radiohead de- debuted this song in Chicago on their 2012 tour. And this is the song that is most likened to that Krautrock genre you were referencing before. Krautrock is a name now given to a supposed genre of rock and electronic music that originated in Germany in the late 1960s with a tendency towards improvisation on minimalistic arrangements. You can imagine where the name came from. Krautrock. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. Germans. 
Uh, it seems like Tom is feeling very erratic and irrational and conflicted in this song. He goes from blaming someone for messing everything up to maybe blaming himself, or it might be him, or it might be someone else. You're not. He kind of switches who he's talking to and about. Yeah. He uh, he talks about how the truth will mess you up, and this is a foul-tasting medicine. Yeah. And he also asks someone to take him back in it. And I, I think by foul-tasting medicine, he means, like, the truth can be a foul-tasting medicine, as in, like, you know, accepting the fact that you fucked up is an important step. It's taking your medicine, but it doesn't taste that good going down. Yeah. kind of cuts to you. Yeah. And uh, a full stop is actually a Commonwealth English way of saying a period, as in the punctuation that ends a sentence. Yeah. And I think this means to, by the song being titled Full Stop, I think it's trying to say the, the, the act of being caught up in something someone said. Yeah. Rather than like looking at the meaning you're stuck in the sentence at the full stop yeah yeah because he says trapped in your full stop yeah yeah i love that line that's a good trapped yeah. in your sentence like, trapped yeah, in your period good, yeah or yeah there's a lot of ways to interpret that i did trapped in someone i mean if someone ended a relationship then for them it's the full stop but it wasn't for him but yeah. he's trapped in there it was good it's a good ambiguous yeah and i guess yeah i didn't think about that but the multi-meaning of yeah. like the full stop full like stop. the actual stopping of the relationship and then like yeah you know if she's saying i'm done with you yeah and you trying to like stay trapped in the period of the sentence because if you stay there you never have to move, move on, on from it and accept yeah. yeah you know yeah and this is like angsty trapped in that yeah it was cool this is a one of my favorite songs yeah this is definitely in my my top three i this could have been on in rainbows don't yeah. you think oh no i definitely yeah. think so yeah. like especially i feel like the song kind of takes a bit to to build up but then like once it gets into it yeah it it's really good Overall, I, I think this song kind of documents someone's initial reaction to hearing that their their lover has either done something to hurt them or found out that they did something to hurt their lover. Isn't like their lover found out they were cheating on them or even just simply like your initial reaction to hearing that I'm dumping you. It's yeah. kind of this mixture of anger, sadness, regret, denial, and pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and yeah. He, sometimes, yeah, it's like he's on the edge of mania. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, which yeah, I dug, and yeah, exactly. It's what is done well throughout the album is that constant tension between like being happy that something's over or being happy that it happened, mixed with being angry that it's over and angry that it happened, and that like complex of emotions just never gets fully resolved no cathartic yeah, really no, no catharsis but this was the closest just because it's anger kind of there is there is emotion in this yeah one. which i dug i dug yeah. this song a lot and the instrumentation is great yeah i love like horns pop out on and i like i like the the quiet driving bass that kind of slowly builds yeah. throughout the whole song and i yeah. love how loud and complex it gets near the end because the yeah. beginning starts out the beginning of the song starts very 
quiet and minimal and it just kind of yeah. slow motion crescendos. Yeah. It's like the best way to put it. Yeah, great guitar riff near the end. Great guitar work. Yeah, fantastic. Good job, yeah. Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, this was a good song. So let's talk about Glass Eyes. Uh, this song is a watery piano ballad featuring a string selection that tackles themes of anxiety and alienation as the narrator is frightened by society and civilization, leading him to escape into the unknown. He talks about getting off a train and immediately wanting to turn around and get back on it after he sees all the people at the train station. And uh, since this song starts out with the line, hey, it's me, it sounds like he's trying to talk to someone while he experiences this panic attack of sorts. Yeah. Now, I, I think this song is brilliant. The orchestration yeah. gives it an intense cinematic vibe. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking, but it's also very cold. Yeah. And... This song also might be one of my biggest gripes on the album. Why is it so short? Yeah, it's oddly it's short. So, yeah, I, it's oddly I feel, short. I feel like I could have listened to 20 minutes of this, yeah. and it's not even three minutes long. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Lush, orchestral song that... It sounds like it could have almost been like a period piece. <laughs> yeah. Like a very... Just, yeah, extremely... Yeah, beautifully crafted song. And, like, just his voice, the, like, the piano and the strings and his voice all mixed together. Yeah. And also just kind of, like, the the way that he's kind of almost mumbling his lyrics. Like, you can kind of feel how small and scared yeah. he is. It really kind of invokes this, like, cinematic scene in my head of, like, you know cold rainy day at the train station and it's foggy and there's yeah. steam rolling out of the train and him just it, it really paints a vivid picture in my mind while i'm listening to this yeah yeah and he's got lines like uh does he say kind of a path trailing down the mountain and i don't know where it leads and i don't care yeah i kind of yeah yeah it's good imagery throughout yeah because I, I think the whole idea of the song is like he gets overwhelmed with the amount of people at the train station and kind of just goes escape and escapes into nature yeah and he doesn't care where it is it's just it's away from the yeah. people yeah this song yeah again if i if i was forced to find a theme throughout the album which to me that makes a great if there's some kind of theme throughout this one carried on that again i mean i hate to kind of keep banging the same drum but the idea there's there's no total catharsis because he's kind of almost caught in the state between the personal and the impersonal yeah and he says there's no message coming in he's got like glass eyes guys he can't he he's can't stuck cry. in yeah. himself but he can't be relieved by being outside of himself. He's sort of alienated within himself, which, yeah, this song does a great job of capturing in the kind of cinematic beauty, being caught in between the personal and the impersonal. Yeah. Which, yeah, I was shocked that it was like two and a half minutes. Was it like two and a half minutes? Yeah, it was, it was like, Three, yeah, maybe? like two minutes and 40 something yeah. seconds. Which I is think. like 30 seconds for just, a Radiohead song. It like starts and ends so abruptly. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on to a song that you like and I don't like so much. Like Identikit. So yeah. I okay, before I get I just 
that whole broken hearts make it rain. I I did not <laughs> like I did not like that part at all. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah, not yeah, like yeah, that yeah. at all. So, yeah, it's kind uh, of a cheesy play on words. And just yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. he does with his voice, especially so like there's the whole breakdown of him saying broken hearts make it rain. Yeah. And then there's like that weird kind of choral yep. version that sings afterwards. Yeah. Just, I'm just not a fan. I I dug it because it, to me it still had that kraut rock vibe. And it had like almost like a retro synth sound in the back with the Christian. I, I paid much more attention to the instruments than the, yeah the lyrics. I thought that was a surprisingly cheesy play. See, I feel like words. I feel like this song could have been on King of Limps. Yeah, yeah. It definitely kind of had just that minimal, repetitive. Yeah. So an in, in uh, identikit is a graphical representation of an eyewitness's memory so you know when a crime is committed and you bring in that artist where they describe the, the criminal to it it that's when an identikit is it's like a a composite artist's rendition of a criminal yeah so the song is about breaking someone's heart and then making it rain as in making them cry i believe is what he means by make it rain broken yeah. hearts make it rain broken hearts crying the title of the song is probably how we as people can reconstruct the image of someone in our minds after they emotionally harmed us so you know it's kind of like this person broke my heart and then i reconstruct their image in my mind and then it makes me cry yeah, that, that's kind of like See, I thought, the takeaway I, I got from that, it. That that broken hearts make it rain. He was, again, you can interpret it many different ways, but I thought he, he starts with it by saying broken hearts make it rain in the sense that you get sad, and then he keeps repeating it where it almost he sounds like angrier, like make it rain broken hearts, like you would say make it rain money. Oh, as in it literally making yeah, it make rain it broken rain, hearts. Broken hearts because he sounds like angrier. Which I still honestly find a little cheesy. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> cheesy line. But but I don't know. I really did dig the kind of like angular hit of strings that come in and how there isn't a perfect sync with the notes and rhythms and lyrics. Yeah. It's kind of jarring. Yeah, he is kind of like singing on his own. Which I, I dug because it was like bordering on kind of art rock. I thought this song almost kind of hit art rock vibe. But I kind of also liked it just because of the last, the guitar near the end that sounded yeah. part Neil Young. Actually, a lot of people have been comparing have it to Neil okay, Young. Okay, because Neil Young, that's like his sound is like, he's just going to, it almost sounds like he doesn't know how to play guitar. But I love Neil Young because he just like hits like two notes, two strings like. Yeah, well, and that the thing I did write is. My favorite part is Johnny's guitar work near the second half of the song. Yeah, yeah, th I I think in particular that's why why I dug it. But I, I can totally understand how. Yeah, especially the lyrics. This was the weakest lyrics. Yeah, song. And, and I was also gonna <laughs> no. say like, it's weird because for being one of the more upbeat tracks on the album. Yeah. It's very underwhelming. Emotionally, at least compared to the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. But. But yeah, I don't know. I I think yeah, I dug this one more than you. I think you did. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go ahead and say you did. I like the kind of snappy guitar work over the lyrics, like Ray Doll, Mankind. Is that what he says? Ray, 
Yeah, yeah ragdoll. He, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Actually, ragdolls appear multiple times throughout this album. Yeah. The, the reference yeah. to ragdolls. Yeah. And yeah, I thought I thought the the guitar work overall was really cool, and I liked the kind of retro sounding. I, I thought I heard sounds in this song that I didn't hear in any of the others, like a kind of retro synth. Yeah, it did sound very different than the other tracks. And it, and the guitar work was. It was like edging on being Neil Young's almost like emo sloppy guitar, which I love. He's one of my favorite guitarists, but he's kind of like sloppy. Yeah. In a good, in a way that you know he means to be, and almost like Satriani modal guitar playing. So I thought the in guitar was like excellent. I thought that was excellent balance between like extremely precise and like almost sloppy. Yeah. So it was cool. It was cool, but I best part of the track. Yeah. 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 All right, let's let's move on to the numbers, the environmental track, as you so well put it. <laughs> this track was originally performed by Tom at that Pathways to Paris concert in 2015, mm. but it was originally titled Silent Spring, so the, 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 the name of the track has changed. And it's widely considered to be Tom's take on an environmental protest song. I, I really like the line, uh, we are of the earth, to her we do return, the future is inside us, it's not somewhere else. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's kind of him talking about how earth gave us life and eventually we will die and become part of it. And, you know, we can't sit around hoping that someone else is going to save the earth. Like, you know, the future is not inside of us or the future is inside of us. It's not somewhere else. We can't wait for someone else to do it. It's up to us to kind of take charge and make a change yeah yeah and i will say this is another one of the tracks on this album that has like incredibly cinematic orchestration yep yep yeah yeah this is another one that which i assume has got to be just johnny greenwood yeah oh yeah, yeah that's, that's all be, yeah yeah which yeah he kind of he leaves the biggest impression on this album probably more than anyone else yeah just on the first few listens but yeah this was a great song I almost thought this also had a kind of like Crosby, Steele, Nash, Young yeah. vibe with that kind of folky protest acoustic guitar, which I dig. So, yeah, I, I thought this was a cool song. But, yeah, it is definitely a Radiohead protest song. Yeah. <laughs> that you're not going to hear anyone playing you it have outside to dig marching. Deep. You have to dig deep to find the protest. People aren't, yeah, people aren't going to be marching to this out no. in the streets, but, you know, Though quietly I, shaking their head. I will say... <laughs> You know, of an album that's full of tracks about sorrow and heartbreak, this track probably has the most emotion and passion, at least in yeah. Tom's vocal performance. Yeah, yeah. And I do think also the piano in the song reminded me of the piano in Glass Eyes. Yeah. Like, I, I, I did this almost like if you put on glass eyes and skip identikit and go straight into the numbers, it almost sounds like they work almost yeah. sounds like they've flown to each other. Nice. At least yeah. in like an idea sense. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because it's got the swirling keys kinda on there yeah. too. Yeah, no, I thought yeah, this was a good song. I thought that the one tiny, unbelievably small gripe was at the very end of the song when his voice cracks. Yeah. I was like, oh, dude, how did he listen to that? Why'd you leave that in? How did everyone in the studio listen to that and be like, thumbs up? Thumbs up. It's not terrible. Don't get me wrong. It's not terrible. But the first time I heard it, I was like on the fence. And then the second time, I was like, meh. And then the third time, I wrote yuck. 
frowny well, face. And, and that, <laughs> I, yeah. But it, I can't complain about literally half a second of but, a song. You know, I I think, and that's that's a that's a shtick that they've done before. Like you know, you go back to Creep, and it's all about like his imperfect blaring of vocals yeah but this album is so finely tuned yeah that something like that sticks, sticks out. out yeah it sticks out yeah yeah but no this is a cool kind of rock and roll yeah baroque protest it's a great song. track it yeah. also like you said similar to burn the witch doesn't not that the you know i'm projecting onto this that this is this concept album yeah but when you know all but two of the songs kind of have this like personal love kind of it kind of feels like a concept album and like this doesn't quite fit within the concept i mean johnny greenwood's cinematic tone on it yeah i guess it but lyrically if i didn't speak english it would sound like it fits yeah but with you you knowing what he's singing about (laughs) yeah it's it's like all right uh let's let's move on to present tense what did you think of this one Okay. I couldn't I couldn't decide if I hated it or not. It took me until like I really started to read the lyrics before I fully got a grasp on this song. So this yeah. this track, this is one of the older ones. It actually has roots as far back as 2009. And it actually it be So this is kind of a post in Rainbows song. Yeah. And it actually became kind of a fan favorite to show up during performances. Uh, the version of the song that appears on this album has a strong kind of Brazilian samba, bossa nova influence to yeah. it. And the song appears to be about trying to keep your mind off the sadness you feel when a relationship ends. Uh, similar to a dancer, he talks about dance a lot in the song. So this song is similar to that of being a dancer in that you need to keep your mind clear of thoughts to stay in the moment in the the present tense. Keep it light. So to say, I don't know. I, it really took me reading and listening to the lyrics for this to like hit me. I I think I had one of like the biggest emotional responses to this song than any other song on the album, especially the second verse when he's like, I won't be heavy. When when he sings like, so that second verse, when he starts to go into the falsetto and he gets to the second half of it, when he sings, as my world comes crashing down, I'm dancing, freaking out, deaf, dumb, and blind. Yeah. That, I actually like teared up a little bit. Like yeah. that really like, hit me. Like just this person who's like everything he's known is just being destroyed, yeah. and he's just trying to like dance and stay in the moment. Because you know, every everyone's had a breakup. You know what it's like. Like I just got to keep my mind off of it, yeah. stay in the present, focus on what's in front of me. Don't ruminate. Don't yeah. regret in how kind of it's impossible to do which yeah you kind of get through his vocal performance that it's kind of like all in vain yeah almost. yeah i thought that was one of the best parts too again something the world's crashing down sad i'm dancing it seems happy deaf dumb and blind not happy and i mean i don't mean to break it down to make it sound simple hey, not but- all deaf dumb and blind people aren't unhappy <laughs> yeah true that yeah i shouldn't show my head but i thought again that's that was a really good spot of again where it's very emotionally complex 
but still like hits you in the gut. Yeah. I thought, yeah, that was really, and at that point too, around the three minute mark, it had a kind of synth electronic melody that was pretty beautiful. Yeah. I thought that was one of yeah, the best the, parts the of the Yeah, the music track. starts yeah. to kind of intensify yeah. right there too. Yeah. I, I couldn't figure out if it was a waste of that bossa nova vibe or not. And I, I don't think it was. After listening to it repeated times, yeah, it took I think, me, a, it took me a couple listens. I think, I think it was a genuine, cool use of it, and it wasn't just like, let's just layer, put this on top of a Radiohead song, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which they could do, and I'd still love. Yeah, and uh, the the one part of the song where like she starts to lose me though, because like, I can really kind of relate to this like stay in the present don't, don't get heavy stay light but then at the end he's like you know i'm, I'm not giving up i'm lost without you yeah it's like yeah eh. yeah i'm lost yeah yeah eh. <laughs> yeah he abandons no catharsis yeah man. He, but he doesn't I, give it to you i will say in defense of this song maybe having some sort of catharsis while most of the sad tracks on this album feel very distant and cold and numb and you can actually hear some emotion in Tom's voice yeah. I feel on this Yeah, this one, one yeah, more than There's any actually other. kind of a sadness and a yeah. passion. Yeah. It's almost like a you can almost dance to it too. This is almost and like a romantic he, yeah. dance Yeah. And he songs. he songs yeah. about yeah. like the beginning of the song, this dance it's a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is also kind of a powerful sentiment. Yeah, I I know a lot of websites incorrectly have been listing "distance" as the first two lines of the song. Distance, distance. But it's this dance. It's, it's supposed oh. to be this dance because yeah. it says this dance. This dance is a weapon. Yeah, you know, it's a way to protect himself. Yeah, I, I'm dancing and staying in the moment so I don't have to focus on the reality of my situation. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief. This one was the one I Googled and was like, was this the Spectre song? <laughs> Soundtrack yeah, of James Bond? I could kind of no. hear that. So uh, Tinker, Taylor is a children's counting game that would help them determine which kid would be, quote, it in a game of take, such as like, you know... Of course, my mind blanks on all of them, but like bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish. Oh, yeah, like those yeah, little, yeah. Get everyone put your foot in the middle and you count to see who's eeny, it. Meeny, miny, moe. Yeah. So this was Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief. And the thief would be it. And then it was also, uh, it was turned into a famous movie i think tinker taylor soldier spy yep i think maybe based on a book or yeah i think BBC it was it was based off of a book yeah. so and actually it's funny you should say the bond thing because my first note is this song begins very minimally but kind of ends with an intense james bond sounding yeah. orchestrated score yeah yeah so yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe this track was like recorded around the same time that they did the specter song like yeah especially since tinker taylor soldier spy the book and movie I believe is about kind of spies espionage, and espionage yeah. Yeah, which yeah. fits with the James Bond aesthetic yeah yeah but at the same time I have no fucking clue what the song is about I read <laughs> yeah. the lyrics a hundred times it kind of seems to have this weird 
sentiment about humans pushing nature away and nature waiting for us to accept it back into their lives and they're just waiting for us to say yeah like he keeps kind of referencing these creatures with holes that are just yeah. waiting like these yeah there's some ancient kind of beings some I, vague irresistibility danger coming i really it's have no vague. idea what this it's very about. vague yeah i thought all the holes at once are coming alive I was like, that's a kind of cool line. But yeah, I have no idea. See, I just thought of SpongeBob. It's vague. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's enough. It's vague. Yeah, very vague. But I thought this was a pretty funky. I thought it was a funky song. I like this one. But yeah, this. I like this one. This similar to like Burn the Witch. It's like something I've never heard before. It was yeah. very original. Yeah. Especially yeah. starting out so minimally and then just getting really James Bondy. Yeah. End. And I like how it the the drums, the basically rock and roll drums were retained even when it was getting really cinematic, which sounded a lot like Can, who's a fam- famous yeah. kraut rock band of just like keeping the drums. I don't know, in particular that kind of stood out to me. Yeah. Which was cool. I don't know. It was kind of a cool Yeah, kind of impending doom strings at the end. Yeah, very James Bond. James Bond. Style. But cool. Dun, I, dun, yeah. dun, dun, I would have never thought dun, dun, Radiohead could do James Bond music, but. Spectre. But you know what? Paul McCartney can do it. Something like <laughs> We almost made it, folks. <laughs> we almost made it. Live and let die. Okay, uh, let's move on to the last dun, track. Dun, dun, dun. Let's cut Dominic <laughs> off. Let's cut him the fuck off. <laughs> let's talk about True Love Waits. Uh, okay. So, spoiler, this is probably my favorite track off the album. Yeah, this is my, a great song. My first note. This is a great song. First note, holy shit. Yeah. This track was first played in 1995 before the release of Radiohead's second album, The Benz. A live acoustic guitar rendition of the, the track was actually featured on their live album, I Might Be Wrong. But this version on a moon-shaped pool is the first official studio recording of the song. In a in a 2012 interview, producer Nigel Godrich said, to Tom's credit, he needs to feel a song as validation, that it has a reason to exist as a recording. We could do True Love Waits and make it sound like a John Mayer song, but nobody wants that. <laughs> nice. So he, he held on to this for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I found an interesting quote. Uh, this guy, Troy Remenick of this website, eaglerecord.com, he kind of he wrote this piece about this song. He talks about how weird it is for someone his age. He's a huge Radiohead fan, especially he was in college. He, you know, he was the 90s, he was in college, he was a huge fan. And the song first came out, and it was kind of like this rare gem that Radiohead fans would kind of like bootleg distribute to each other. Like, yeah. You were a real fan if you knew the True Love Wait song. Yeah. And he talks about how weird it is to like, when the track listing for this album dropped, and to see that after 20 years of this being this like, weird underground hard to find radio at song oh they're now officially releasing it yeah and he also talks about how he had this funny moment where for the past 20 years 
he had been mishearing the lyrics the entire time. <laughs> he thought the lines, don't leave me, he was saying lonely, lonely over and over again. And how much <laughs> that changes the meaning of the song. Yeah. And then Damn. he also talks Damn. about some Radiohead conspiracy theorists that believe that the fact that this track is finally getting a recording, a studio recording, is supposed to be Radiohead telling their fans that this is the last yeah. album. They ever. waited. They waited. This is till the, the end. This yeah. is the one thing you're waiting for, and we gave it to you, and that's that's all we got left to give. And it's the last track too. It's the last yeah. track. Yeah, yeah. So the title of this track, True Love Waits, is an ironic reference to the Christian abstinence advocacy group that lobbies against premarital sex. Throughout the song, Tom sings about how he's willing to change for his love and that he's willing to wait as long as it takes for his love and that he's nothing without his love and he will do anything for his love as long as they don't leave him. He says some weird things, referencing that he will throw out all of his morals and dress like their niece and become yeah. pregnant. <laughs> and it's very... Especially those first couple lines are very reminiscent of like early Radiohead Tom, just like really out there yeah. lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, an interesting fact about the line, don't leave. Uh, whereas in previous live versions of this song, the line was kind of delivered triumphantly, underscored by a major chord, hmm. especially in that acoustic one. Yeah. In the studio version, the harmony stays fixed and unmoved with a dissonant melody, yeah. which kind of tells you like, you know, over the 20 years while he was triumphantly saying, don't leave me, now he's saying it because she left him and it's like this yeah. cold yeah fuck she left kind of deliverance yeah so what are your thoughts on this track yeah this was i thought this song daydreaming maybe glass eyes they all could have been part of like one album with just that kind of Sound. I don't know. To me, they were all kind of yeah, kind of sad and cinematic. Yeah, sad and cinematic. But I, yeah, I thought this was a fantastic song, especially what seemed to me to be a very complex and disorienting rhythm. That it was unsettling. It was off kilter. Yeah. yeah. Where and I think maybe that yeah, instead of a John Mayer basic kind of major chord typical rhythm, it was complex almost sounding off yeah. which which yeah gave it again that sort of more impressionistic meditative ruminating feel and with the lyrics like true love waits in haunted attics again that's the kind of like perfect complex emotion that, that they hit that line yeah that's, God, that like that like fucked me up when i like i like realized yeah. that like True love waits in haunted attics, like just this lonely ghost waiting for something that's never gonna yeah. be there. Like yeah. that last the, the other night when I was like that line really hit me. It's like shit. That's like the saddest thing I've ever yeah, read in my sad. entire life. That's like it reminds me of the daydreaming video. Yeah, yeah, of like yeah, just wandering throughout. And that also that dangerous. I'm not living. I'm just killing time. It's like yeah. God damn it, yeah. Tom. Yeah. 
How dare you be so... <laughs> I, yeah. he, he sounds so small and, and so his voice cracks yeah. in this one but in a way that is very effective like yeah. I yeah. Tom's been doing his falsetto emotional thing since the beginning of the band and I've never heard him sound like this yeah it's yeah. so defeated and crushed yeah it, it's just damn Tom yeah, no, this was Damn a great time. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> but no, really great. Again, it's it's amazing to consider the different drafts he went through yeah. over twenty years. And yeah, it ended with yeah, very complex yeah. song. I, yeah, I don't mean to like sound pretentious, but for like such a minimal song, you can tell there was like twenty years worth of yeah thinking yeah. about this song put yeah. into it. Like yeah, they really perfected it. Yeah. It's like a fine-aged wine. Yeah. No. Uh, another little interesting fact I found out about it: the line uh, "True love lives on lollipops and crisps" came from a story that Tom read about a child who got left alone in his house for his, for a week and ate nothing but junk food <laughs> to stay alive. Wow. And like wow. you know, it's kind of this line talking about how like. It's a really depressing line because it's basically saying true love will eventually die because, you know, if you ate nothing but lollipops and crisps, you would, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. last long. Yeah, it would be glorious up. for a short period of time, but it would burn out quickly. Yeah. And I think he's trying to, like, say, like, true love is like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That great, great track. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that was a great track. I don't know. Uh, I guess that kind of wraps up any... Yeah, no. Final thoughts. Yeah, overall, yeah. I mean, it it's, uh, sounds like a very mature, complex, almost like chamber or baroque pop album. Yeah, with Johnny Greenwood. So, again, the only the my only gripe, which isn't even really a gripe, the because yeah, I don't deserve it. Is yeah, there's no hyphen. <laughs> okay. What's the deal, man? But no, it yeah, there was no total. There was no explosive edge but it sounded like they were intentionally going for a more complex modal sound yeah I, which they achieved they definitely achieved i think the reason why because like you know they they do something different with all of their albums and you had in rainbows which is this really complex rather upbeat album and then they put out king of limbs which was very controversial because of how like minimal and like heavy use of samples it used like everyone's yeah. like where's the guitar where's the guitar where's the guitar huh. Huh. and you know they could have easily come back and like put out this explosive guitar yeah but no they put out this depressing cinematic yeah baroque pop yeah so it's while I understand that at the same time it's also just kind of them saying like Look, we didn't do what you expected again. Yeah, yeah, true, true, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's good. I, so yeah, it's a solid like nine out of ten. For me. Yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm flown between eight or nine. Yeah, probably nine, maybe no, eight point five. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs>
All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to hear us do more reviews like this or you want to hear us talk about songs or if you just want to talk to us about anything, you can hit us up on our Facebook, facebook.com slash shuffle, Twitter at shuffle podcast, Tumblr, shufflepodcast.tumblr.com, or email us at shufflecastpod at gmail.com. Other than that, uh, please listen to the Game Cave podcast. It's a podcast where me and some friends talk about video games. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash the Game Cave podcast. And now we're going to leave you with one single word of wisdom from Dominic. Beatles. Okay, bye.